afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the show, The Politically Social, and I'm your host, Afia. Today, we have with us staff judge advocate for the Air Force Material Command, Colonel Eric Magia. He received his undergrad degree from Arkansas State University and his JD from University of Arkansas. He served in a number of roles as an Air Force attorney, including as an area defense counsel. Currently, as the senior military attorney for a major Air Force headquarters, Colonel Magia leads a team of over 460 attorneys and paralegals at 18 legal offices. His team provides legal support to the command staff for an organization of 89,000 personnel who manage about $60 billion annually in research, development, test, and evaluation, as well as oversee the acquisition, modernization, and sustainment of weapon systems for the U.S. Air Force. Our topic today is Major General William Cooley's conviction. Major General William Cooley was relieved of command of the Air Force Research Lab and later court-martialed. Welcome, Colonel Magia. Thank you. Thank you very much, Apia. Thank you for the introduction, and, and thank you for, for having me here. Um, thank if, you. I, if, I could, if I could, just to provide a, a little bit of background uh, about the case that we're going to discuss. Sure. So as you, as you correctly noted, uh, General Cooley was a major general. That's a, that's a two-star general in, in the Air Force, and he was one of the commanders uh, of AFRL uh, within the command that I'm the staff judge advocate for, which is AFMC, or Air Force Materiel Command. Uh, about 2019, uh, his sister-in-law uh, came forward to our investigative agency, the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, and made an allegation that her uh, brother-in-law, General Cooley, had sexually assaulted her after a party. Uh, so as you know, that was investigated. Uh, and then as a result of that investigation, three criminal charges were brought against him. Uh, and those three criminal charges were uh, one, him forcibly touching her, uh, and number two, making her forcibly touch him, and then number three, uh, what it was essentially a, a, a forcible uh, French kiss, for lack, for lack of a better word, him inserting his tongue in her mouth uh, without her consent. Um, after the charges were brought against him, he was tried uh, in a court-martial uh, by um, Judge Christina Jimenez, uh, also an uh, Air Force JAG, but a, a specialist in, in, as a military judge. Uh, and he was found guilty of one of the three charges, that being the forcible kiss. Uh, and then he was sentenced um, to forfeit over $50,000 worth of his pay and, and to also uh, be reprimanded. And, and the case is significant and I understand you know, why, why you're talking about it is because it's the, it's the first time in the Air Force's 75 year history um, that a general officer, a general uh, has been prosecuted and convicted in a court-martial. Right, right. So my first question about that is uh, General Cooley was convicted but he could not avoid prison and was not dishonorably discharged. What message right. does this convey? Right. So I think I think this is a fairly it's a nuanced question. Right. So uh, first off, it's important to understand that, that General Cooley uh, was not necessarily prosecuted to send a message. He was he was prosecuted for the actions that he took on 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 that day against his sister in law. But but definitely people take messages from courts. Uh, they have a public impact. And and one of the things that I've noticed of this particular case is it's kind of a polarizing case. And and people tend to fall into two different camps or two different categories. There's the there's the camp that 
that view the military and say things like, well, it's different spanks for different ranks, and the higher up in rank you go, the less likely you are to be held accountable and to be punished. And this is an example of that because he was only found guilty and, and, and lost some money and, and a reprimand. So this just proves different spanks for different ranks. And then there's the other category, the other camp uh, that says, well, this is the Air Force bowing to, to public pressure, and, and that, that's the only reason he was prosecuted and and this was just a forcible kiss and, and he's going to lose his career over that and i and i would say that that there's a message to e to each of those two camps right so so the first folks who think different spanks for different ranks i think this case clearly demonstrates that that uh regardless of your rank uh if the if the air force if the military uh finds out about credible allegations of misconduct especially sexual misconduct uh, we're we're going to hold you accountable, and we're going to take you to to court if that's appropriate. And it doesn't really matter how many stars you might have on your shoulder, or whether you have no stars on your shoulder. It's it's the conduct and the disorder to 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 um, you know good order and discipline uh, that you're going to be held accountable for. Um, to the other side that says, well, this was just an example of the, the Air Force bowing to public pressure, and it was just a show or a spectacle or whatever. Uh, I, I think the the mixed verdict, in other words, finding him guilty of one specification or one charge, but not the other two, uh, the message there is, no, this, this case was, was decided on its individual merits uh, with the judge weighing each of the charges and deciding what he was uh, guilty of by proof beyond a reasonable doubt and those things that, that there was not proof beyond a reasonable doubt. It, it, it was certainly not a show trial. It was a, um, a serious application of the law by an experienced judge with results that back that up. So I, I think those are the two messages. Right. So from a legal standpoint, how do you think the general avoided more severe penalties, including a dismissal or reduction in the rank or even up to seven years in prison? Right. Right. And, and, as, you, and as you correctly you know, note there, the, the maximum punishment uh, for the crime for which he was convicted, the maximum that the judge could have imposed would have been seven years uh, in jail or a dismissal to be to be kicked out of the service. I, I think the key to understanding why his punishment was um, a forfeiture of fifty thousand dollars and a reprimand is to understand that that first off, um, of the three charges that were brought against him, the one he was convicted of was arguably the least egregious. Right? It was a forcible kiss as versus him uh, forcibly touching her genitals or, or him forcing her to touch his genitals. Those would probably have been considered the more serious uh, offenses than, than the forcible kiss. Um, now, I'm, I'm not in, in any way, shape, or form um, suggesting that what he was convicted of was, was trivial, trivial or, or light uh, uh, or, or unimportant by, in any sense of the word, right? What, what he did uh, violated her privacy, uh, violated her sanctity in, in her body uh, and, and was wholly and completely unacceptable. But on the spectrum from, from rape, right, force, forcible penetration uh, to, to this, uh, this, this was of a less egregious nature. And so I think the fact that he was found only guilty of one of the three offenses and of the conduct that was described in the one offense that he was found guilty of probably uh, best explains uh, why his, his punishment was what it was and why it was not, you know, seven years in jail uh, or, or to be completely kicked out of the service. Right. And, and, and as you mentioned before, this is a 
first court martial of a general in the branch's 75 year history. But recently I, we've heard a lot about Me Too in the military. What is your opinion on that? So, so Me Too in the military um, and in society general uh, was, was a show of solidarity, uh, or at least that's how we characterize it, a show of solidarity among sexual assault victims. And I, I think it I think it served an important um, function in society by heightening awareness of the problem of sexual assault and just how how prevalent it was uh, in society in in general. Uh, so I, I think that that is a good thing, right? Any any time uh, society, including the military, which is a subset of society, uh, can be made more aware of a problem that it, you know, it's already aware of, but may be made more aware of it, I think that's good. And, and it causes uh, the military and society to adjust their behaviors and their laws. The, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, which is the body of law that the military uh, follows, and the military justice criminal procedure is, is a dynamic thing uh, that was designed to and does, in fact, uh, change with the times. Uh, and and uh, these sort of movements uh, help society and the military uh, adjust what they do to, to better serve the needs of society, and in this particular case, to better serve the needs uh, of sexual assault victims. So I, I think, on the whole, it's a good thing. Right. Colonel Matthew Neal said recently that if this result influenced just one survivor to know that his or her attacker's rank or status would not prevent them from being held accountable, that's a win for the U.S. and the entire military justice system. Do right. you share those beliefs? Yes, I, I absolutely do. And so so just for orientation, right, Colonel Neal Matthew was the, um, um, oh, Matthew Neal, was the was the was the prosecutor that was in court uh, that actually did the hands-on prosecution of this case? I, I as the staff judge advocate of AFMC, um, uh, my job was to advise our four-star general, General Arnold Bunch, who was the one who decided, uh, you know, on advice to send it to court and and to seek a prosecution as opposed to some other disposition. So 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 uh, I, I I agree with his statement. I, I think. We all know that it is very difficult uh, for sexual assault victims to come forward uh, and to um, disclose what happened to them. Right there, there it's it's something that that tends to happen just between two individuals, uh, and sexual assault victims look at various justice systems and prosecution systems, and they draw conclusions about how they're going to be treated. Uh, they draw conclusions about whether anybody is going to believe them or not. Uh, when you're dealing with with powerful individuals, and there's there's no doubt that a two-star um, general is a powerful individual within our within our military system. You know, they they look to see if if they really are sort of immune from from their own misconduct and the consequences of it. So I think this case sends a, sends a message that that they can come forward, they they can share their stories with us. We will take it seriously, uh, and and. Uh, if the facts and evidence support it, it doesn't really matter to us whether the person's got four stars or, or no stars. Uh, we will hold them accountable for their misconduct. Uh, and so I, I, think, I think he hit the nail on the head with that statement. Right, right. 
Now, General Cooley, as we discussed before, was, was charged with three specifications, but convicted of only one, which is forcibly kissing his uh, sister-in-law. Right. Um, he was not convicted of pushing her against the car door or inappropriately touching her. What do you right. think were the legal grounds of, for not being convicted of those two charges? Because as per the prosecutors, there were written admissions of guilt. Sure, sure. So, so I have to caveat that first by saying that, that, I, that, was, that I was not actually in the courtroom. I'm kind of the, from my position, I tend to be behind the scenes. So, uh, so I, didn't, I didn't see that play out word for word in court. But I mean, from, from experience, and, and you being an attorney know this as well, of course, is that, is that a judge looking at charges will take the three different charges in this case individually and, and try to assess whether there's proof beyond a reasonable doubt, because that's, that is our criminal standard, which is a very high standard burden of proof. Um, and sexual assault cases are really kind of unique because they normally happen in private. Uh, it's normally only gonna be two individuals there, right? The perpetrator and the victim, and it's gonna be uh, the perpetrator's word against the victim's word. And so then you, you kind of have to go on a search uh, for other things that may corroborate the uh, the statements of each of them as to each charge. So I suspect in this particular case, you know, that there that the judge found sufficient cooperation or sufficient indications of proof beyond a reasonable doubt as to the one charge of forcible kissing, but the proof did not come up to that level for the other two. Um, which is not to say that it that it either it did or did not happen. It's to say that there was not proof beyond a reasonable doubt to establish that. There must have been a reasonable doubt in the judge's mind as to those two other charges, but zero doubt in in her mind uh, as to the one for which he was convicted. Uh, and that and that's true not in in this just in this case, but in but in many cases you 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 wind up with a result of a mixed verdict: guilty of some things, not not guilty of other things. Right. Um. Uh the victim said that the price for peace in my extended family was my silence and that was too high a price to pay now this is a sad reality we've seen that victims don't open up and then we've also witnessed cases like that of vanessa gullen uh, as a judge advocate in the military what is your take on this so so i think i think your assessment is uh, your characterization of it as a, a sad reality is is spot on and and especially in this case right this case even had the family dynamic aspect of it that not all cases necessarily have so in her particular case um you know she was um uh sexually assaulted uh, by her husband's brother uh, so for so for her to have kept silence just to keep peace in the family, if you will, uh, I, I, I can see how she would have determined that that is far too high of a price to pay. Uh, and 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 we think that she uh, did exactly the right thing. Right. She shouldn't have to pay any price. There's no there's no price that she should pay. She's the victim. She's not the one who has to pay the price. It's the perpetrator that has to pay the price. So so her coming forward and telling her story, allowing the Air Force to investigate, uh, cooperating throughout this, this, um, this process, which was about a two-year process, right, because of COVID tended to slow things down, uh, I, I think showed uh, a, a lot of bravery. Uh, and and I, I think it does send a message and set an example for other victims that that the military will take their cases seriously. We will investigate it, and we will hold perpetrators accountable for their for their wrongdoing. They they don't need to pay a price. Uh, we we try to make 
uh, every effort to encourage them to come forward uh, to, to make the perpetrator pay the price. What does Article 120 of the Uniform Code of Military Justice exactly say? Right. So, so as I, because as I alluded to earlier, right, we have a what's called the Uniform Code of Military Justice, and it and it contains um, a, a listing, if you will, of of criminal offenses that are both shared by the civilians, right, murder, rape, sexual assault, the same things that are in the civilian sector. We have we have in the military, and then it additionally has military specific crimes that there's no there's no analog for in the civilian system. For example, in the military, it is a crime. To not show up uh, to work, right? That wouldn't be the case if you worked in the civilian sector. But because of what we do, and it involving national defense and, and the criticality of what we do, you you have to be at work. That's it's just you you can't compromise national security just because you choose not to come into work one day. So Article One Twenty of the Uniform Code of Military Justice is that portion of that body of criminal law uh, that addresses rape, sexual assault, aggravated sexual assault. Uh, and abusive sexual contact. So, uh, you know, the range of, of sexual crimes is contained there. And it also contains, you know, the, the, uh, as you've seen in laws, right, the definition, what does each word mean, uh, as, as well as the, the penalties for violating them, the, uh, because there's a, there's a much higher penalty for rape than there is abusive sexual contact. Uh, and, and also contains some of the defenses that you would be familiar with as an attorney, like mistake of fact and things like that. So that's, that's what Article 120 is. It encompasses uh, sexual uh, offenses for the military. Um, you said this case clearly demonstrates the commitment of Air Force leaders to fully investigate the facts and hold airmen of any rank accountable for their actions when they fail to uphold Air Force standards. Do you right. think General Cooley was held fully accountable and has the Air Force really investigated the charges completely since, again, he was um, convicted of only one specification? Right. So, so obviously we charged him with more than he was found guilty of, but, but, but also, right, as, as an attorney and a believer in the, in the, um, the value of our system, uh, I, 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 don't, I don't hold any you know, animosity towards the, the way the results turned out. I believe he was held fully accountable, and the reason I say that is, is because um, to hold him fully accountable in my mind is to, is to investigate it thoroughly, to make an informed and sound decision as to what he should be charged with, to make sure that he goes to court where a, a experienced and skilled military judge listens to all the evidence and then determines within our system, which requires proof beyond a reasonable doubt again, uh, that he is guilty of something and then to assess an appropriate sentence. So in my mind, to, to not be held accountable is to, is to get away with it. Uh, to, to, to never even risk the consequences. But in, it, also in my mind, General Cooley was held fully accountable by the Air Force because he went through the entire process, again, only, only having been found guilty of one offense. But by the same token, I, I trust that that military judge, who is a very experienced military judge, was able to weigh all of the evidence. And it, as, as you know, right, it's, you, there's, there's, there's only a certain amount of evidence that you can get in. Some evidence is withheld as a result of hearsay or other objections like that. Uh, so of the admissible evidence, what she determined was that he was guilty of this one offense. And, I, I, and so, yes, I do believe he was helpfully accountable. 
what is your take on the supposed written admissions of guilt by General Cooley? Now, I'm, I'm referring to the apology emails that he allegedly sent to the victim and her husband. And then, you know, uh, mm -hmm. later those allegedly were deleted. Yeah. So, I mean, it's you, you can take both sides of it. Right. I, I've, I've been a prosecutor and a defense counsel. And and so, you know, the defense would argue that those admissions of, of guilt where he says, I'm sorry, and I never meant for all of this stuff to happen. I mean, I think the defense would argue that that that's just um, could also be consistent with consensual behavior and and the family dynamic and all of that sort of thing. I, I think our our position uh, from from the from the prosecution side was with was that these were admissions of guilt of wrongdoing of a criminal nature. Uh, I think probably the judge I, I can't speak for her, uh, but I think probably the judge gave that some some credibility and some weight as well uh, because if because and again this is I won't say it's conjecture, but I mean. If, if a person has done absolutely nothing wrong, right, they're probably not going to apologize and they're certainly not going to delete those apologies. Uh, so obviously there was some consciousness of wrongdoing. Um, he, he views it undoubtedly as one, one, one way. The prosecution viewed it as another way and the judge determined uh, what, what was the uh, legally supportable result from that. Right. So when the judge sentenced General Cooley to a reprimand during the court martial, what does this mean precisely? What are the career implications? Yeah, so this is this is kind of unique in the military. So uh, to to maybe not unique, but but certainly uh, a part of the military. So in order to advance in the military, your your record has to pretty much be spotless for an officer. Uh, a reprimand alone, even outside of the context of a, of a court martial, would go in an, uh, an officer's permanent record uh, and would and would stop their advancement through the ranks. Um, in the context of the reprimand that he received, it's about as severe a reprimand as you can get because it was awarded in a court martial. The reprimand itself uh, was written by a four-star general, uh, and and as you probably know, four stars is is, is as high as you can get uh, in in the, in the military, uh, certainly in peacetime. Uh, and and it becomes a part of the record of trial, the transcript of the trial. Uh, so that that has already been has already been written, uh, and in, and it goes into uh, his his record of trial. And so, uh, what are the career implications? Well, you're not you're not entitled uh, to retire at the highest grade that you hold at the point that you get out of the military. So when something like this goes on, uh, as a general rule. The Secretary of the Air Force will determine what was the last grade that you um, served at without blemish. And so General Cooley could face uh, getting out of the Air Force not as a general officer, potentially. Now you think, well, that's not that big a deal. But, but if you think about the, the amount of money that costs over his, his life expectancy, it, it's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right, I know, absolutely. Um, what kind of new policy developments can people expect to witness in the U.S. military in regards to combating sexual abuse or violence? Sure, yeah, and as I mentioned earlier, you know, it's the, the UCMJ and the military justice process in general is, a, is kind of a living, breathing thing uh, that changes every year. Often it changes with the, the National Defense Authorization Act, the big body of laws that, that 
authorizes the military to do what it does and funds it and that sort of thing. And so some of the things that are that are coming down the road and that some of them have already been implemented to a certain degree are, first off, the biggest one is we're going to have an, 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 an office, uh, a special prosecution office uh, that will be a, a general officer that will review these type of cases uh, and and determine whether they should go to trial or not. And that person will answer uh, directly to the Secretary of the Air Force. So that's that's a fairly significant change that's, that's coming up. Uh, sentencing guidelines, uh, I, I think, are, 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 are on the horizon as well, uh, as well as a criminalization of um, sexual harassment. Now, I say criminalization of it. I mean, you could always get to criminalizing sexual harassment through some of the other articles of the UCMJ we had, but now we're talking about a specific article that addresses it versus some of the more generic articles. So those, those are the three things, you know, that I'm, that I'm aware of that are on the near horizon. Right. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for speaking to us today. This this was really, really um, uh, helpful. And, you know, we got a lot of information from the perspective of the Air Force as well. And I think I'm glad that, you know, at least the victims have started speaking up now. Great. Thank you very much, Afia. We, I, we very much appreciate the opportunity to, to visit with you and, and, uh, and to be uh, hosted on your site. Th thank you again for joining us. This means a lot. Thank you. Okay.